Devadas Paul David was in awe of his father's library. Paul David, as he is more commonly known, was the eighth born to an educative father and a well-read mother. He, alongside his eight siblings, were raised with a liberal understanding of what a democracy meant. We were reading some fairly serious uh, literature, mostly on communism, yeah. socialism. Some of the books were not banned. George Bernard Shaw's book on uh, socialism for women was uh, in in my dad's library. Reflections on Lenin. It was in my dad's library, and they become part of your personality. By grade seven, his family had moved to Verulam, north of Durban, after living in Amzinto in the south. By the time he was seventeen, he was actively involved with the Natal Indian Congress. In 1959, had begun studying law. at the then university of natal we decided the university students that we would form a non-racial branch of the anc which was of course against the, its constitution so we came in 1959 to chief latuli and we told him about our plans and his advice was work together david's already established love for politics grew here That year in 1959 David mobilized one of the first boycotts of his career as a political activist. There was not a single student in that year who went to the graduation ceremony. Even the medical students who we thought would give us problems joined us. Yeah. And they got their degrees in yeah. absentia. Yeah. Under the state of emergency imposed in 1960, David had put his studies on hold. He completed his law degree in 1967 and was admitted as a lawyer a year later. During this time, David interacted with several political giants, from Steve Biko to Jayan Singh and Ismail Mir. In 1979, David grew restless because, under the construct of the political paradigm, he wasn't able to fully work alongside his black comrades. And through his desire of wanting a collective effort. The release Mandela campaign was born. For my sins in suggesting that we have that, I was appointed. I was elected the secretary <laughs> of the, of that group. Archie Gumero was the chairperson. We had our first rally, March, April, nineteen eighty. Nelson's daughter, Zinzi, came down and addressed us, and that was an important uh, point in our history. because not only did that rally join all race groups together but that gathering defied security branch orders and spoke openly about Nelson Mandela and ANC both were banned at that stage it was a time topped with adrenaline dodging the security branches working underground and ultimately staying firmly focused on the prize of democracy how did they do it uh We, we had a lot of bravado. Right? <laughs> we were scared. There was no doubt. We, but the overwhelming compulsion of what we were doing just put our fears aside, you know, and uh, gave us kind of strength to confront police. I mean, I'll give you an example. Griffith Simkanga, who was the treasurer of the Release Mandela campaign, died on the same day as my mother. I'm torn between making arrangements for my mother's funeral 
and to make the arrangements for Griffiths. Uh, we were able to organize both. Yeah. Where did your loyalties lie? How did you respond to that when somebody said, where did your loyalty lie? Well, the loyal, our loyalty, first loyalty was to the struggle. You know? David was instrumental in the formation of the United Democratic Front in 1983. This organization was largely viewed as a mechanism to oppose the tricameral parliament, which sought to amplify apartheid. We thought that we would get uh, the black community fighting against the uh, autonomous uh, towns, as they call them, together with the colored community and the Indian community fighting the separate parliaments. We thought we would get there, but it wasn't working out. But the UDF developed a life of its own, mm. and it became the political organization of black people. But the security branch viewed this as treason, and in 1985 arrested David alongside 15 other activists. After David and a few of his comrades, including George Supersad, Archie Gomede, Bali Naya and Mewa Ramgubin, sought refuge at the British consulate in Durban, they were arrested. <laughs> yeah, that was tough. The only cells that were available to us for the first two months was punishment cells. They were small cells, one meter uh, by two meters. And in those cells, three of us stayed. The sleeping was uh, very difficult, very difficult indeed, because I shared a cell with two, uh, the two brothers were about six feet three tall. <laughs> so can you imagine? <laughs> the trial lasted two years. They were found not guilty. By now, freedom had started to flicker rays of light on the horizon. But here's an interesting anecdote that maybe you didn't know. And we were shocked to hear that uh, it's an unconditional release. Unbanning of the ANC and free and fair elections will be held couldn't believe this. This was in 87. He was allowed to consult, but we were not allowed to disseminate, to discuss it publicly. And uh, we started getting together, making plans. So 1990 wasn't a big surprise to yeah. us. And so planning for democracy had begun even before democracy was born. Let freedom reign. God bless Africa. Lives started to change. Homes were built. Water flowed. Laws became humane. The Constitution became the only manual for the construction of a democratic South Africa. And then, David says, the focus on development became less intense. There were other things that the government uh, was doing. Mm. We had no business whatsoever to spend 30 billion or more on uh, military. Uh, who were we at war with? Was that the priority? And we knew we were making mistakes immediately. So to the person who didn't have water, who didn't have a home, this was wonderful. This was a miracle. Political activists saw it differently because we were now veering. And uh, I think we are now lost. Today at 77, Paul David's eyes still gleam with excitement, knowing that he was part of something far bigger than any reward or recognition. Now that his wife has passed away, he enjoys quiet dinners with his three daughters, where the conversations still centre around making South Africa great. Just to think that my life was worthwhile, 
you know, that we did something that was uh, good, that we made a contribution. There should be that service uh, to humanity, not because it's a religious precept, but because it's something that comes from within. So I think, in a nutshell, it would be that our lives are worthwhile.